Welcome to episode 54 of On The Schmooze. Let's do this. Welcome to On The Schmooze, the podcast that highlights talented people from different fields, explores how they built strong networks, and overcame challenges on their way to becoming successful leaders. Now here's your host, Robbie Samuels. The countdown continues. I'm really excited to share that my book will be available in just over a week on July 30th. And if you want to get a free copy of Croissants versus Bagels, Strategic, Effective, and Inclusive Networking at Conferences, you can join my launch team for the book, get the advanced copy so you can do your review, and get a free Kindle version and the audiobook as well. I am so excited to be sharing this with my listeners. Visit RobbieSamuels.com slash launch team to sign up. On the Schmooze is proud to be a headliner on C-Suite Radio, which is part of the C-Suite Network, a network of a half million C-level executives. If you enjoy business podcasts, you should also check out C-Suite TV at C-S-U-I-T-E-TV.com. Now, on to this week's show. Today's guest is a leading expert on real estate damage and has consulted on major catastrophes around the globe. He consulted on the World Trade Center, the Flight 93 crash sites, the BP oil spill, Hurricane Katrina, and several tragedies, including John Benet Ramsey, OJ Simpson, and the Heaven's Gate Mass Suicide Mansion, earning him the nickname Master of Disaster. Currently, he leads Landmark Research Group. Prior to this, he led a national practice at PricewaterhouseCoopers, the world's largest consulting firm. His extensive research has taken him to all 50 states and the seven continents. He is known for his ability to gather complex information and present his findings in a straightforward, intelligent way. His book, Me, We, Do, Be, shares principles that are the result of his research at the intersection of sociology and economics. He interweaves classic behavioral research with his own work on high-profile cases to reveal why some dive, some survive, and others thrive. Please join me in welcoming Dr. Randall Bell. Hey, Robbie. Uh, Dr. Bell, thank you so much for joining me from your office in Laguna Beach, California. So I want to just jump right in. I know that my audience will be curious to hear about your day-to-day, but since this is a podcast about leadership and building great networks, tell me, what does leadership mean to you, and when did you realize you had the skills to lead? Well, that's a great question, and I'm going to start by what leadership is not. I think the greatest myth out there is that leadership is some kind of position or title or a degree or something like that. Leadership has nothing to do with with any of that. Leadership is essentially doing things in a way intuitively that others will want to follow. That's what real, genuine, authentic leadership is. It's just doing things in a way that others say, hey, I like that. I'm going to do things like that, or I'm going to do what that guy or that girl is doing. It's true. If if you're doing something and no one's following you, then, well, I guess you can't be called a leader. (laughs) Like, leaders need followers. Yeah, yeah. Well, uh, you know, a lot of pseudo leaders, I'll call them, they, they kind of demand obedience, they demand that uh, compliance and that kind of thing. That's not genuine leadership. Uh, that, that's, a, that's a dictator type style. It's, it, it's the least effective of all the leadership styles. Mm-hmm. So at what point did you start to be recognized as having leadership qualities? Was there a point even early on, you know, high school or before? I don't know about that because leadership roles were never appealing to me. I mean, frankly, some of the 
you know, greatest people that I've seen in my life have had no leadership, formal leadership positions. And some of the biggest jerks I've ever met, quite frankly, had, you know, uh, high leadership positions. So, and, and vice versa. Some, some leaders I've met are, are terrific people. And I, but I, I didn't follow them out of their position. I followed them out of uh, respect for where they're coming from. And I think to be a great leader, you have to be a great follower. And, uh, and, and it's more of a, a teamwork dynamic rather than this hierarchy where I'm in charge and you have to do what I say. That's, that's where a lot of train wrecks happen. So those are kind of the, some of the key concepts I've thought about as I've thought about leadership. But for myself, I was working from a home office when Pricewaterhouse called me. My, my career had been profiled in the Wall Street Journal and they saw it, and they saw that I was attracting the biggest cases in the world. So uh, they called me, and so all of a sudden, I had a top floor corner office, and I was—I I led a practice around, you know, around the country, around the world. So it, it just kind of happened, and I had to figure out the the formal leadership stuff very quickly. So prior to even that, though, in college, it just sounds like you weren't really attracted to the titles, like running for running for student government body president or anything like that. Were you maybe doing it more informally, like through volunteerism or through teams, sports teams, or was you, was this opportunity at Price Waterhouse Cooper is really you being thrown into the fire for the first time and having to think about leadership? I never ran for student body office. It's funny because my all four of my kids have been student body presidents of something. <laughs> they they shouldn't they didn't get that from me, but they they, they all ran. They all won um, at least once, and uh, I never did that. I was never attracted to that. It just never appealed to me. Really, really, where leadership I got the big wake up call on leadership is when all of a sudden the media, you know, everyone from People Magazine, the Wall Street Journal, everyone started calling. And I, I was all of a sudden on the top floor of the world's biggest consulting firm leading a you know, large group. And that, that's how it happened for me. It's nothing I ever aspired for. Well, you know, usually I wait a little bit to talk about what challenges people have faced at work. But it sounds like that was a big challenge for you, having to think about what kind of leader you wanted to be now that you had that opportunity. Well, I did study it, and I, I, you know, frankly, I checked out books and started reading about it. And and I think leadership is like a lot of things. Some of it's innate; you do it kind of naturally, and some of it's a, a learned science. And I, I think there's both. I mean, my style is, hey, I'm just going to be myself. Uh, I'm going to do things the way I think are right. I'm certainly teachable. I'm certainly observant and, and looking for ways to uh, to improve on that. But um, you know, I'm not going to go through some of these formal processes that other people think are so important. I'm not into money. I'm not into power. But that seems to have come more organically from just kind of being myself. Well, it sounds like you're also very, very good at what you do and very specialized in what you do. What do you find most rewarding about the work you're doing? I love variety. I think I've never been diagnosed and I'm kind of kidding around, but I think I might have adult ADD or something because I, I like the variety of, of what I do. Next week, I'm in Miami looking at a new case. Uh, I, I just got back from Taiwan and Guam and Saipan. I, I'm, I'm flying all over the world. Some days I'm like today, I'm in the office. I just really uh, love the variety and I love being, um, I don't know if creative is the right word, but you know, talking about leadership, I think the highest form of, of leadership is thought leadership and writing books. Right, you know, the textbook that I wrote is now it's in a third edition. It's up to 504 pages, if you can believe it. So I, I like just 
you know, thinking, exploring, going around the world, talking to lots of people, and then organizing in a way that makes sense to other people. That's a particular gift that you have, this ability, as I said in the intro, to gather complex information and then present it in a in a straightforward, easy to consume, intelligent way. When did that become apparent to you? I mean, that's not something a lot of people are very good at. Well, that's a great question, Robbie, because that's really my big pet peeve, or that's my big, for me, it's kind of a gift because I understand regression analyses and all these complex mathematical studies. I, I, for some reason, I just understand it, but my job is to translate it into English. Um, you know, oftentimes in the cases that I'm involved with, we're dealing with hundreds of millions, billions of dollars, and I'm of the opinion that juries are very smart people, but for the first time, they're hearing a lot of these things. So my job is to tell the truth and tell it in a way that, that makes sense. You know, think about it, Robbie. We, we Going back to high school or college, we loved the teachers that we could understand, and the teachers we couldn't understand, we couldn't stand them. Or, uh, you know, we, we hated them. And it wasn't that they weren't nice people. We just couldn't get what they were saying. And I think that juries and I think in everyday business and people around us appreciate people that just make sense, that aren't trying to talk over their heads, aren't trying to be complicated. In other words, anybody with word processing can fill up a thousand page book with a bunch of stuff, but it takes a real effort to make it simple and to make it usable and practical. And that seems to be kind of like I say, my gift to, to be able to do that. That's pretty impressive. It's, uh, it's true that the work that you're doing and the cases that you're working on, they're so high profile. It sounds like a lot of what you do does have well, a little bit of solitude where you're working and doing research. And then there's a public facing component, particularly when you're working in front of juries. Do you like that balance, the ability to sort of move between the two? Well, yeah, absolutely. I mean, that's where me, we do be the framework came up because me is, is solitude. It's reflection. It's studying, you know, it's cracking the books and really thinking carefully and deeply about something. We is connecting with other people, uh, do is being productive. B is what we're becoming, our legacy, our goal setting, our time management, all of that kind of stuff. So, yeah, I do like that balance. In fact, I'm very drawn to it. And I think it's essential that leaders have a sense of balance rather than always have having the on switch on one thing and the off switch on another. Frankly, you know, I've studied the biggest disasters in the history of the world and they're caused when people are out of balance. So, you, you know, really to be an effective leader, to be just an effective person, you got to strive for balance. I love this framework and I love how simple it is. It goes back to what you were just saying about trying to take complex ideas, creating a framework so others can sort of tap into it. Prior to it being a book, was it something that you were presenting on or offering it to people as a, as a framework for them to consider how to approach life? I, you know, Robbie, I, I appreciate you saying that because it took me 25 years, and I'm not kidding you, it took me 25 years to crack the code on that. I, I had this concept, but it was 12 elements. It was actually 12 uh, chapters of a, of a complex business plan to go to Wall Street with, and I kept trying to simplify it and simplifying it. And finally, I was stuck in Guam once for three days. It's a long story, but I was just, trust me, I was stuck there on the beach for three days. And I just sat about it, really frustrated that I was having a hard time articulating it. I understood it myself. I, I used it myself, but it was hard to explain to someone else. And then that, that little model, me, we, do, be, came to me. It was, frankly, it was like an epiphany. And I'll tell you, uh, 
it, it's been nonstop since then. It, yeah, the, you know, when, when the book came out, it was fly to New York and interview with the Wall Street Journal, and then I was on the floor of the New York Stock Exchange. I mean, just things have exploded. But it took 25 years to simplify it. That that was such an effort. And then when it hit, it hit big. That sounds amazing, and and it's well deserved to have that kind of recognition when someone is able to crack that code, like you said, and then share a model like this. But while you're striving for success and trying to get this message out there, there's the fear of being wrong or making a mistake or even failing at it. It sounds like it was really frustrating for you when you didn't quite know how to do it. With all that in mind, tell me something you're not very good at and how you overcome it. Oh, gee, that's a lot. That's a lo- we're going to be here for days talking about stuff I'm not good at. I mean, you know, <laughs> you know, it, it's funny because I wrote the book and my kids have read it and they said, Dad, you're the world's biggest hypocrite. I mean, the, the reality is I'm working on this stuff like everybody else. You know, I, I struggle like I talk in the book that a statistic that everybody talks about uh, making your bed uh, is all over the world now. Well, I, I did this, the underlying sociological research that people that make their beds are um, – but, you know, far more likely to become multimillionaires. There's a statistical correlation. So I struggle on everything. And and for me, me, we do be really works. I use it myself. I don't, I don't claim that I've conquered it or mastered it. It's just a great framework to take this busy world of all this complex stuff and saying, take a breath, you know, assess what's going on, evaluate what's going on and simplify it and, and make sure you're doing, the, you know, something to build each of the four cornerstones. I, I call it an evaluation. The word evaluation is rooted in the, in the word value. You got to look at your values in terms of your thinking with the me cornerstone, the relationships with the we cornerstone and on and on. You got to look at what you value and then make sure you're spending time with what you value. I struggle like everybody else, but, you know, overall things are going great. So share a little bit from the from the book, the these four um, cornerstones, maybe a couple of stories, something that illustrates what you learn along the way and what people would take from from reading the book. Well, you know, what's fresh in my mind right now is just last week I had lunch with Tanya Brown. She's the sister of Nicole Brown Simpson and the sister of Denise Brown. In fact, while we're having lunch, Denise called from uh, Italy and I talked to her for a minute. And, and that, we're talking about the B cornerstone. The B cornerstone is what makes us uniquely human. Uh, the animal kingdom has the me, we, and do cornerstones. That You know, they look for food, they're productive, they build their nests and all that. But, but B is the human ability to think for the future. The animal kingdom isn't saving for retirement. They, they don't have written goals for the future, that kind of thing. That's only distinct for humans. And, and B is a, a legacy. And so in talking to Tanya last week, it reminded me of back when the whole O.J. Simpson thing was going on. And I'm sitting at the kitchen table. And obviously the family was in shock with what had happened to their daughter and their sister and, the, and, and, and all the media you know, craziness that was going on. And Denise got the idea that, hey, I'm going to take all this energy. Honestly, she wasn't very happy about the whole situation and who would be and channel it into something very positive and help battered women. And she created this enormous legacy of helping people all over the world. Um, you know, identify these very ugly relationships and get out of them. You know, that's that's legacy. What are we doing that, that you know, creates an advantage for other people around us? Uh, that's, that's what the B cornerstone is all about. That, that story always sticks out in my mind. That is so powerful. And it's true that when you think about why you're on this earth, you want to think about what you're going to leave behind. And I don't think anyone in the animal kingdom is doing that. <laughs> so true. It occupies a lot of our time. Like what, what is the legacy we're leaving behind? Right. So 
this sounds like you've been handed a real gift uh, and you've been able to spread your message to so many different mediums. What has been sort of the most tremendous opportunity that was presented to you because of this book? Well, I'll tell you, I mentioned to you that when the book came out, uh, I flew to London and had interviews with the biggest news, the, the two biggest newspapers did big articles. And I flew to New York and had uh, radio, TV interviews, Australia, just all over the world. It exploded. But I was on the, I'm not kidding you. I was sitting on the floor of the New York Stock Exchange. I was just about to go on uh, for a TV interview and uh, I was checking my emails and I got an email from a lady in LA who works uh, on Skid Row with homeless kids. And she said, Dr. Bell, I've heard your message and I can't afford your speaking fee. We can't afford to buy books, but would you come and visit with the homeless kids here on Skid Row? And I, I immediately sent a text back and said, you, you name the time, I will be there. And I did go there and I did meet with those kids. But I was so incredibly honored, as much of an honor as it was to speak at, in New York on the floor of the New York Stock Exchange or, or the Wealth Management Conference in Beverly Hills that I did and on and on and on. To, to go and meet with people, you know, in these really dire circumstances, they're not interested in sugar-coated nonsense. They're not interested in theories. They want real practical answers, how to dig out of serious problems. Um, that was a, an enormous honor. And then I was asked to speak to prisoners up in San Quentin, and I went and did that. And I sat in a room with a bunch of guys convicted of murder and every horrible crime you can think of. Uh, I was scared to death, quite honestly. But you know, I shared these concepts with them because they're, they're committing that even if their lives, the rest of their lives are in prison, they're going to lead honorable, honest uh, lives. And that's admirable. I, 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 my hat's off to them for, for taking that responsibility. Um, so the message is hit not only around the world, it's hit everywhere from Skid Row in L.A. to Wall Street. It's pretty exciting. Um, but I think I'm most honored by, by the, the invitation to go to the prison, the homeless shelters. It's, it's phenomenal that the message is, is resonating there. It's amazing because imagine that the, the gift that you're able to give someone who's on Skid Row or in prison, the profound impact that your message can have on them because they are coming from so far behind in a lot of ways. Whereas someone who's achieved success in other parts of their life and are just trying to like, you know, get a little like whipped cream and cherry on top, <laughs> like yeah. to them, it's like a nicety to have a framework like this. But to someone who really feels like they have nothing, you are giving them something really tangible to reconstruct their life in a positive way. And the ripple effect. I mean, I, I know it's only been a six months or so since the book came out. But the ripple effect of what you're going to hear over the next few years to decades is is also pretty amazing. Well, I appreciate you saying that, Robbie. The, the book, I, you know, I'm 58 years old and uh, my mom's 95. I hope I have, have a few years left. And I'm going to be talking and, and doing this book for the rest of my life. It's not a money thing. For every book we sell, and we sell a lot of books, uh, you know, we give away three or four books. It's, it's, it's not about money. It's about I've had this privilege of going all around the world, working on these cases. I've come up with this framework that really works. Uh, with this framework, me, we, do, be, uh, it's no secret. I've, I've generated billions and billions of dollars for my clients. It, it really works. It's not a theory. It's not a th new theory. It's been around for decades, and it really works. And um, 
I got to tell you, it's, it's thrilling to see the process because occasionally I get an email from someone. I, I really managed to upset one component of society. Atheists hate the book. And there's, you know, you go to Amazon, about three atheists hate the book because I do mention the need for having a spiritual or, or a faith-based component. I don't say what, what to do. I just say that's a, that's a component that I've seen correlated with success. But uh, aside from, from those people, um, there's been just this enormous... Uh, applause for the book. And I get these emails saying, hey, it's really helping. You know, I, I worked in a homeless shelter as a volunteer for years here in Laguna Beach. And I sat, you know, every week had a class on life skills. And I've seen people dig out of really tough situations, get sober, get their lives back together, get reconnect with their kids. It's, it's absolutely thrilling. And all we did was talk about the me, we, do, be components. And, and they really work. And, and, and what's interesting, in, in society, in, in the spectrum of sociology, you got, you got the really down and out, you know, really beat up group. And then you got the super wealthy. Those are the groups that are seen most really fascinated with this stuff because they're both really interested in progressing. The middle group that's kind of the ho-hum, you know, day-to-day uh, boring kind of group, uh, they don't get it as much. They get Some people get it, but the groups that really, uh, really apply are those who are really into self-development and taking th- wherever they are to something even better. So speaking of self-development and striving for success and the amount of time that it takes and dedication and both, both at work, but also that, you know, in a lot of ways we take our work home with us and the line is sort of blurring these days. What does self-care look like for you? Well, I think that um, I'm, I'm studying the life of Leo Fender really carefully. He's the guy that, that invented the electric guitar. And Leo was a certified workaholic. And quite honestly, I'm a certified workaholic. Because Leo enjoyed his work. I enjoy my work. There's nothing work with, wrong with working really hard. But there's got to be a balance. I mean, for Leo, he took his wife on a cruise once a year. And when the, when the kids and the grandkids came over, he dropped whatever he was doing. I, I mean, that's, that's cool. That's balance. But the rest of the time, he was, you know, he'd be, you know, designing guitars uh, all the time because he just had a passion for it. He just, it wasn't, it worked for him. He enjoyed it. And I have my own kind of thing. So that answer really kind of applies to Penn. You know, it's an individual thing. I never dictate, you know, what successful for me may not look like to you or someone else. And I respect that. Uh, you kind of kind of have to find your own thing and make sure that you're spending time with priorities and not just, um, you know, being a pig and, and accumulating, you know, wealth and fame, because that's not where the happiness is. It's in, it's in having balance and making a real contribution to people's lives. So is there a particular habit that you've been uh, working on adopting into your life? Yeah, I mean, I got sick earlier this year, um, and uh, I put on a bunch of weight. So I'm, I'm, you know, going back to basics and already taking off the weight. And now I'm starting to lift weights every morning. That's a new habit I've gotten into after some, uh, uh, you know, my kids were kidding me around about how <laughs> summer was coming up, and uh, they'd be embarrassed seeing me at the beach. You know, so uh, you know, the, the, those are the kind of habits that I'm into: is exercising, and eating right. It's basic stuff. Um, you know, a lot of people think, because I work on these enormously complex disasters, that complex problems require complex solutions. The reality is, is that's not true. And a lot of times it just comes down to simple stuff, getting back to basics. And for me right now, it's diet and exercise. It's not complicated. Yeah, you know, they say, like, start with sleep and then uh, add in good quality food and good exercise. And, like, if you have those three components, that, that'll take care of most elements that we have these days. Because I think... Uh, one one of those three is usually failing in people who are not doing well in life. 
Yeah, I think you're right. And and then the Duke Cornerstone, I talk about health and fitness and that. And, you know, smoking is, is uh, you know, obviously not, not correlated with a lot of success. Uh, drinking excessively is a bad idea. I mean, it's just all basic stuff. But but I try and bring it alive with a lot of stories from these different disasters and that kind of thing. So I, earlier you said that your, your uh, children were calling you a hypocrite after reading the book. Um, I have a book coming out uh, July 20th of this year. Uh, I think it'll it probably would just have come out after this uh, was recorded. And um, my wife was reviewing the book and saying, do you do all these things in best practices? It's about networking at conferences. And I say, you know, I have the intention of doing all of these things. I at least know <laughs> that they're all the things to do. <laughs> um, yeah. yeah. So, so speaking of networking, though, uh, which is another big component of the topic that I want to talk to you about. Your professional network over the last 25 years, you've seen everything. You have literally been around the world, every continent, all the states. You've met a lot of good people. How are you, how are you nurturing those relationships? How are you developing a professional network? Well, I think you're absolutely right. I mean, when when a, when your house or your business goes up in fire at your at your house, you take you run out with your photographs, and in business, you run out with your Rolodex, your contacts. They're they're the gold in your life. And I think just first of all, you know, as your question shows, addressing that and just you know recognizing that fact is is essential. You know, I. I have all kinds of, you know, you know, thousands of people I've met over the years. And, for example, on this new case I have over in Miami, there's a guy I've worked with a couple times before. I haven't talked to him for a couple of years, but I know when I call him next week, we're going to reconnect and we're going to work together because we just we just established, you know, a good working rapport. And I have these same contacts, contacts frankly, all over the world. Um, so I don't know that you can... Um, you know, maintain daily contact with everyone ever you ever meet. But I think just just always being, you know, I have a, a rock on my kitchen table that's inscribed with, I think, the most important word with the weak cornerstone, and the word is kindness. Just being cool. Uh, we call it cool, being cool or being kind. That doesn't mean you're a sucker, and, and it doesn't mean you put up with any kind of nonsense, but it does mean that you're looking for common ground. You're, 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 uh, when you make a mistake, you apologize. You just are respectful and have empathy for other points of view uh, and so forth. I've tried to do that my whole career, and you know, given the fact that I can call people in about any state and, and immediately have the resources that I need. And, and the same thing for me, they can call me and I'll draw. I get an email or a call at least once a week around the country, you know, asking me for information or favors. And I drop what I'm doing and I do it because it's the right thing to do. And, and I just, I believe in, uh, call it karma or call whatever you want. What goes around comes around. And so nurturing those those. Those relationships aren't about doing something only for those who can do something for us. It's about doing kind things to everyone, no matter who, you know, what, what position that they're in. It sounds like you've got a lot of what can I do to help you sort of mentality, as opposed to what some people might call the what's in it for me. I mean, you've been paying it forward with kindness and being cool your whole career. People know what you're about. They appreciate that. For the people who are closer to you, though, that aren't the one-off contacts you see related to cases, are you purposeful in how you stay in touch with those people, um, particular colleagues, or just people you've met through through your work or your life? Are you are you having some I don't know intention around that? Absolutely. I mean, yesterday I was on the freeway for an hour and a half here in L.A., and so instead of listening to the radio, um, I have a list of people 
that I've, you know, just great friends, great mentors, uh, just people that I've really connected with all walks of life. Some of them are billionaires and some of them are struggling artists. It doesn't matter to me. I don't care. uh, And I just go through and I call them. And, uh, you know, today we have this nonsense uh, that you got to send an email and make an appointment to make a phone call. And I tell people over and over again, you want to call me, pick up the phone and call me. Here's my direct number. It's on the Internet. I, I'm not, you know, you, I don't have, I do have two secretaries, but here's my direct line. You can bypass them if you want to. Call me anytime you want. That, that's my attitude. So I, what my point is, to nurture those contacts, you take the dead time, you know, on the freeway or whatever. Call people up and see what's going on. I just talked to a buddy of mine who was on the front cover of L.A. Lawyer magazine, and he had had enough of uh, Southern California's rat race. He moved to Idaho, and he's just flourishing up there. And I just called him yesterday. We had an hour's conversation. Uh, I'm always looking for ways to just use that that time um, instead of watching in-house movie or in-flight movies or, or on the freeway to reach out and, and maintain all those friendships. That's wonderful. I had a Susan Rowan uh, on here as a guest. And Susan, uh, 25 or so years ago, wrote a book called How to Work a Room. And she's really like, you know, the grandmother of this space that I'm, I'm in. And she calls what you just described, um, make hay while the sun shines phone calls. And hay stands for how are you? <laughs> so <laughs> you just call people and you say, how are you? And enough of the nonsense of having to have technology, you know, doing that. And so I have a short list of people and, you know, I have a, I have a walk, 10, 15 minute walk that I have to do a few times a week and I'll just, you know, see who's around, um, make a quick call, check in, you know, answer a question. And I also have a rule, the third text message, I'm picking up the phone. (laughs) Texting (laughs) is for, you know, I'll be late five minutes, not a conversation. Um, so I love that you're using all that downtime to think about how to stay in touch with people because that's that's a big piece of it. It's not supposed to be a big production. It's just fitting it into your life. But there is times, there are times when you're going to a major event like a conference. Is that, are conferences a part of your life? It seems like you're presenting lots of different places all the time. I, I am speaking all over the place. I just had a conference up in San Francisco. I'm the kind of guy, I, I mean... You know, if I just had my way of doing things the way I wanted to, frankly, I would, I'm very content just being by myself, uh, working at a computer on some idea that I've got. But when I go to conferences, as I did in San Francisco when I was just up there, I'm usually the last one to leave. Um, you know, a lot of people have questions. A lot of people have uh, issues or they want to chat about or so forth. And so I conscientiously just kind of stick around because uh, you, you meet so many interesting people and and process is really pretty simple. It's just stick around and um, talk to whoever wants to talk and it's not complicated. And, and along with that, with the whole we cornerstone of connecting, I think something really important has to be said, and I talk about it in my book with the Weed Cornerstone, and that you want to develop these healthy relationships, but you also have to identify the toxic people who, are, who will tear down your business, tear you down, the narcissist, the sociopath, uh, the, uh, the borderline personality disorders are the, are the big three, um, and, and you got to get away from them. You don't want to engage with them. They will, they will drain you, and I've unfortunately ran into 
those kinds of people. You have, everybody has, uh, they're, they're around us. And so part of successful networking is not just ne- networking with, with synergy and like-minded people and, and all of that. That is critical, but it's also identifying those people that are, don't have your values or are dangerous in some way. Uh, that will destroy relationships and just and just getting away from them. I think that's essential. It sounds like also having some intentions about why you're there will help you define who not to interact with. You'll be able to sort of maybe witness it differently. It'll be clear to you that they're not supporting your values or your goals because you're really clear about what those are. And it also sounds like you're taking advantage of a skill that comes with being a speaker, like sticking around to say, hello, whoever is there to talk to you works really well when you're up on stage because people do want to come over and talk to you afterwards. Um, I know we're going to see each other. We were talking before we started. Uh, you're going to be at the National Speakers Association Influence Conference in Orlando, um, which is like um, not quite a month away. So I, I know we're going to cross paths there and I'm sure you're going to have a long line of people. Do you have intentions about what you want out of those kinds of spaces when you go in or is it really, are you there to speak and see what happens, who comes over and talks to you? I, I don't have uh, any particular agenda. I am speaking at NSA, which is a great honor. I mean, think about it. The National Speakers Association asks you to speak. That's, that's quite a, a compliment. And then I just want to hang out. And uh, you're right. When you're up on the platform, when you're up speaking, a lot of people want to hang out and talk to you. And I'm not one of those guys that rushes off, you know, thinking that I'm, uh, you know, too cool. Um, that's not my style. My style is if you want to talk or chit, chit chat or, or get into some concepts, uh, that's terrific. When I, when I volunteered at the homeless shelter, I'm not kidding. Some of the most fascinating things I learned were after the class, just hanging around. And some of the guys and, and some of the women, there were both men and women in the homeless shelter, would come up and, and share things with me that were absolutely fascinating. Uh, same thing when I was up in prison. I learned you know incredible things from, from people of all walks of life. So I'm there to I'm there to learn, meet people, and I don't have any agenda other than hang out uh, until uh, until everyone goes home. <laughs> As an outgoing expert, I'm guilty of staying until the ch- stairs need to be uh, the chairs need to be stacked because like I don't know when to leave. <laughs> so um, just a couple more questions for you. Uh, if you had the opportunity to speak to your younger self at about 25 years old, what is the one thing you'd encourage yourself to do? to build a strong, supportive professional network? Well, I think the mistake I made when I was 21 is I had this great idea and I moved to Silicon Valley. I got investors. It was high tech. I was before my time. We went public. When I was in my early 20s, I was worth, uh, I don't know, 20, 30 million dollars on paper in the stock market. And then our technology promptly went obsolete and I lost it all. And I hadn't even finished my college degree. And I think if I had a, a chance to talk to myself when I was younger, say, lay a foundation, you know, finish your degree, get some real credentials under your belt. Don't, don't be so anxious to take on the world and rip it apart. Um, do it slowly, really pay attention. And one thing I've done very well is I've stayed in touch with all, you know, a lot of high school friends and college friends over the years, re- remarkably um, uh, beneficial. 
you know, savor those relationships. Don't rush success. Let it grow organically. The people that are most successful, and I know you know this, Robbie, are those who just take it a day at a time and add a pebble and a pebble and a pebble. And then before you know it, you got a mountain. That's how it really works. It's not doing it. There's no such thing as a legitimate get rich quick scheme and all that nonsense. I, occasionally someone wins a, wins a lottery, that kind of thing. But, but, in terms of having the odds really in your favor, it's just a, a sensible, paced, day-to-day effort of building relationships, building your own intellect, uh, uh, building productivity, and then before you know it, you got you got yourself an empire. You know, it's true. It's like every single day you need to be doing something towards the annual goals that you want to create, towards the life you want to be leading 10 years from now. And it, it adds up in that way, small little steps. So- If we were to meet a year from now and you were telling me what a great year it's been, what accomplishments would we be celebrating? Well, I think we'll be talking about the fact that the book is still, you know, continuing to roll out and so forth. You know, if I had my way about it, there'd be just a lot more invitations from uh, homeless shelters, from... um, you know, I, I, next week I'm speaking to drug-addicted people. I, I love the fact that that all walks of life are interested in the simple me, we do, me message. And um, I, I hopefully this is more of the same. I've been so blessed with all of this, and I just want i'm not greedy i'm not a pig i i just i'm just enjoying where i am the fact that it's really helping uh people build their businesses make more money and families grow closer and individuals get out of tough spots and i just want to continue frankly doing the more of the same so how can people find you or follow your work well, I have a website, drbell.com. We're, we're, you know, we're constantly, and you can either spell it out, Dr. Bell or Dr. Bell. We have both. It takes you to the same place. The, the book's on Amazon.com. Um, if you can't afford one, shoot me an email and I'll send it to your public library and tell them to check it out to you first. But I, I just think everybody out there needs to read this book. Uh, I, it took 25 years to write it and get it right. But uh, just go to drbell.com and I love hearing from people. If, if you've read it and you like it, you know, shoot me an email. If you don't like it, you know, don't tell anybody, but I'm just kidding. Tell me, tell me why. And, and maybe I can improve it with the next edition. But uh, here's a, this is a, it's a nice, simple, powerful message. CEOs are taking it seriously, but I can talk to, to a five-year-old about it and they'll get it too. I, I just love it. That's fantastic. Well, thank you so much for sharing some time with us. Hey, thank you, Robbie. I'm looking forward to seeing you in Florida. Excellent. I hope you enjoyed that interview with Dr. Randall Bell. Such a pleasure to speak with him and learn about his leadership journey. What is your key takeaway from our conversation? Something you'll put into action this week that you'll benefit from for years to come. One of the things that stood out for me was how grounded Dr. Bell was, particularly against the backdrop of all the tragedies and disasters he's been exposed to in his career. His book, Me, We, Do, Be, is the culmination of what he's learned from these experiences over his 25-year career a roadmap that can be understood by a child and be inspiration for a CEO. It's powerful to be able to gather complex information and present it in such a straightforward and easy-to-consume way. Purchase a copy of his book so you can apply his concepts to your life. I put a link in the show notes at ontheschmooze.com, episode 54. I also appreciated the idea that complex problems don't require complex solutions and how we live our lives can be boiled down to a single word, kindness. How can you apply this in your life? Find common ground with someone with an opposing view. Have empathy for different points of view, especially when you least understand where that person is coming from. It sounds overly simple, but we can all use a little more kindness and empathy in our lives. Let's start with ourselves. 
If you find yourself harshly judging your best effort, be kind. Take time to appreciate what you have already accomplished and they have the dedication to aim for big goals. I'm kind of talking to myself right now as I balance all the final prep for my book launch. It's easy to focus on what hasn't been done yet and miss the opportunity to acknowledge and even celebrate all the steps I've already taken and my commitment to this audacious goal. Speaking of goals, I want to reiterate the point that big, scary, audacious goals aren't achieved all at once, but are the culmination of doing the next step and then the next step and then the next step. You see where I'm going. It can be discouraging if you don't have the right mindset and can't see how the work you do every day is getting you closer to your big, scary, audacious goal. One concept that has really helped me is the 12-week year. So rather than trying to achieve multiple big goals all at once, choose only one every 12 weeks and also two smaller goals. This means you work towards completing a goal early in the year and then get to use that momentum from that success to achieve the next big goal and then build on that momentum to keep creating and achieving new goals. I learned about this concept from a book called The 12-Week Year. I'm going to put a link in the show notes at onthechmooze.com, episode 54. Is networking an important but your least favorite part of your job? My coaching clients felt the same way. Through a combination of technical tips, accountability, and a bit of inspiration, I help leaders stop wasting time networking and start building great relationships. This fall, I'm launching a pilot group coaching program. This is a virtual program, so if it sounds like something you'd want to be a part of, we should set up a time to chat and see if it would be a good fit for you. You can email me at Robbie at RobbieSamuels.com. That's R-O-B-B-I-E at R-O-B-B-I-E-S-A-M-U-E-L-S.com. Do you host a conference or a convention and want your attendees to feel like your event was incredibly valuable because of all the connections they made? I work with associations and companies to design events that increase engagement and create a welcoming culture for all attendees, especially your first-time attendees. Do you know someone who might be interested? I would welcome the introduction. As a busy solopreneur and work-at-home parent with a toddler and a baby on the way, December 3rd, I am juggling a lot of responsibilities. That's why I use Contactually, a robust CRM that's perfect for managing my professional network. I use it to help me manage my most important relationships and the ones I hope will become significant. As an affiliate for Contactually, they are offering my listeners a free trial. Let me know if you sign up for the free trial and I'll help you get set up for success. Visit RobbieSamuels.com slash Contactually. That's Contactually, C-O-N-T-A-C-T-U-A-L-L-Y. For your convenience, I'll add the link to the show notes at OnTheSchmooze.com. Look for episode 54. Just a reminder, you are still being encouraged to join my launch team. I have about 263 people on the launch team right now. And from that group, just in the last few days, people have sent me, gosh, it's been maybe like 60 reviews have come in via email. This is all in preparation for the launch, which is pretty exciting. So when it launches on July 30th, my goal is to have 100, at least 100 verified purchase reviews. And so because it'll be free on Kindle, you can just buy the the Kindle version, and then read it and, you know, write write an honest review. Tell me what you think about it. I, a lot of the early reviews are saying that it is packed full of really actionable takeaways. And if you've been listening to this podcast, you know that's what I'm about. I want to give you a lot of value, and I don't want to waste your time with a lot of fluff. So you can uh, receive your advanced copy of Croissants versus Bagels, Strategic, Effective, and Inclusive Networking at Conferences. And, of course, you'll get notified when it's free on Kindle 
and I'll also send you the audiobook as soon as I get that done and get the print version out as well. So that's coming up in, uh, just probably a week or two after the, the Kindle launches. We'll have the rest of it out. So you can sign up at robbysamuels.com slash launch team. I am grateful to everyone who's done that so far. It's been really, really well received, and I'm really excited. So if you want to discover other business podcasts, check out C-Suite Radio at c-suiteradio.com, where you'll find On the Schmooze in good company with other C-Suite Radio headliners. And before I go, I want to sincerely thank all of you who have already subscribed and left a rating review on iTunes, because by subscribing and leaving a rating review, you're helping this podcast get discovered by more listeners. If you haven't done that yet, and you're enjoying what you're listening to, would you take a moment, go over to iTunes. You can find our iTunes page really easily. iTunes.ontheschmooze.com brings you right to our iTunes page. And while you're there, subscribe and then leave an honest rating review. And if you want me to give you a shout out for doing so, you can leave your Twitter handle in the review and I'd be happy to do so. Thank you in advance and I look forward to connecting again next week when I'll be interviewing another talented professional and asking them questions about their career challenges, work-life balance, and of course, how they built and sustained their professional network. So until then, have a fantastic week. I know I will. Thanks for listening to On the Schmooze podcast at www.ontheschmooze.com. That's On the Schmooze, S-C-H-M-O-O-Z-E. This podcast is heard along the Marketing Podcast Network. For more great marketing podcasts, visit marketingpodcasts.net.